not how we have identified ourselves, Lord God. Uh, so, Father, we want to be yoked with one another, and, Lord God, you know we want to be yoked with you. Uh, so, therefore, we ask you that you would open our hearts and our minds at all those things that are clouding them up right now, all of those issues, Lord God, which are, uh, are just finding their way to the top for priority. We ask you that you would help us to move those things way out the way so that the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ himself, can speak to us, Father. And therefore, break all the barriers, Lord God, and all the walls that have been put up for one reason or another, Lord God. We ask you that you would remove them as well, Lord God. We come to you willfully, Lord God, willingly, Lord God, desiring we want you to do a work in our hearts today, Father. Today, this day, that is our desire. Uh, so, Lord God... I ask you, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, it is in the name of the King of Israel, the King of this world, the King of all things that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you've ever gone away for the weekend, and I'm sure some of you have, most of you have, but then you needed someone to watch your home or your children, who would you call? Who would you ask? Who would you entrust with some of the most valuable possessions and the little people of your life? Would it be your neighbors? Maybe not because you know them, but you don't know them that well. Maybe you can get a recommendation from the police department to send a police to your house to watch your stuff and your children. You know you can trust them because they have been sworn to serve and protect. So it just might be a really good match. But then again, maybe not, because you really don't know them either. They are just people after all. Then what about needing someone to watch over you for a day or two? Who would you trust yourself with? Would it be that guy that you saw standing on the corner all night? Or would it be the Uber driver who took you to work or took you home or brought you home after a party the other day? The critical question that we must ask ourselves is, who do we have to watch over the spiritual issues of our lives? Who can we trust with this critical mission? I pray that your response is, of course, uh, none other than Jesus Christ, but I also pray that your response would be myself, me. You are responsible to watch over yourself for all issues that are critical to your faith and to your walk. You are responsible. I am responsible. So then how do we do this? And what are some of the things should we look out for? 
Uh, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Where well, we learn this first principle, and that is, keep your mind clear and simply stay on watch. Keep your mind clear and stay on watch. I'll read both, both uh, verses, beginning in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Our passage begins, I would say again, with a reminder of being sober-minded. Being sober-minded was mentioned, and we've heard this before already in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it was there. Again, we were commanded to be sober-minded. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Because we have previously dealt with this idea of being sober-minded, that all I will say is that it is uh, any type of free from any type of external influences that causes our spiritual decisions and activities to appear as if we are intoxicated. Any type, uh, being sober-minded means being free from any type of external influences that cause our spiritual decisions and activities to appear as if we are intoxicated. Now, being spiritually intoxicated with unspiritual libations eventually leads us to making unspiritual and ungodly choices. The fact remains is that you can't get intoxication under control. Even for the person uh, that believes that they can drink a lot, even for the person that believes that they can get high and not affect them. The bottom line is for the person that gets high, the person that gets drunk, that you still would not trust them with your vehicle, would you? I'm not sure, maybe you would. Uh, you would not trust them with your children. So if you are inebriated with unspiritual external influences, uh, can you be trusted with yourself? Can you even be trusted with yourself? Now, uh, we have walked through such a wide breadth of issues in, this, uh, in the spiritual life of, uh, of the believer in 1 Peter. And all this is unnecessary. When I say unnecessary, all of it is, is, is unnecessary if if Christ does not sit at the right in the center of our realm of worship. So if Christ is not real, if Jesus did not come to give himself for us, then walking through this wide breadth of spiritual issues is totally unnecessary. 
Brothers and sisters, I'm just wasting my time, and so are you. So it is because, according to 1 Peter 1 and 13, it is because of his mercy we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as a disciple of Christ, we are to be sober-minded, sober-minded, without spiritual or unspiritual intoxication or inebriation from those external or ungodly forces. And then here in verse 8, we are also not only commanded to be sober-minded, but we are also commanded to be watchful. You see that. He says here, be sober-minded. And be what? Peter tells us to be what? Be watchful. You see, it's not enough for you and I to be in love with Christ and to live in a way that pleases him. This is not enough. While loving Jesus and living for him is our ultimate goal, there are other uh, spiritual matters that we must attend to. And one of those matters is being watchful. Being watchful over yourself. Because you already know the answer to this question, but if you don't watch over yourself, who's going to do it? Is it going to be your husband? Is it going to be your wife? You see, one of the fascinating things about the emotionally healthy spirituality ministry is that it's dealing with us, it's dealing with all those issues that are stuck on the inside of us, and oftentimes we don't even realize that they're there. And we press them down, and we press them down, and we press them down, and we oppress ourselves, and then we wonder, and we ask the question, who am I really? Who are you, in fact? Who are you? First, you and I, we are totally unable to be watchful if we are inebriated by ungodly intoxicants. You would never trust a drunk person. Again, at least I don't think you will. And if you do, then let me know. We need to pray with you a little bit later. Amen? In fact, we need to pray with you now in the name of Jesus Christ. You would not trust someone who is intoxicated to watch over your house while you are away. You would neither allow a person who is stoned to the core with other illicit drugs to oversee the affairs of your bank account or your children, would you? So uh, the second command of being watchful, Peter says, it assumes that the first command is true. Get that? So being watchful assumes that you are sober-minded. How can you truly watch if you yourself can't see because you are intoxicated by ungodly, unspiritual alcohols? And by the way, what are ungodly intoxicants? Anything. Can you say anything? Anything that causes you to oppose and question the truthfulness of Jesus Christ and his word. There ain't no slipping. There is no sliding. There is no getting away from what the word of God says. In fact, I was, 
uh, in a conversation uh, just this past week with someone who says, well, you know, the scripture, there's a lot of different interpretations. Therefore, we need to accept uh, all, all thoughts about scripture. And I tell you, that is not true. God's word is meant to be followed in all that it commands us to be and to do. You see, this is both in temptation and in thought in terms of how we need to be sober-minded and how we need to be watchful. So anything that creates a barrier between us and God, we need to figure out a way how to get rid of that thing. Jesus insisted, in fact, that his disciples not only be people of prayer. I see some think that if I'm just a praying man or a praying woman and I know God's word and I have committed God's word to my mind and my spirit and I can recite God's word, that that's enough. But Jesus says, uh-uh, no, uh, praying is not enough. What? Mark chapter 14, verse 35. This is the red. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says here, Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus says to do what? Watch and pray. Pray with one eye open. That you may not enter into temptation. And then Jesus says what we know to be true, you and I know this to be true. He says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. The spirit, oh God, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus acknowledges this. And if you were to tell the truth about yourself, you would also say the same thing. You would say that, Lord God, my, my spirit is willing on the inside, but Lord, you also know that my flesh is weak. Give it over to the Lord. The idea of not watching over yourself may mean that you will enter into temptation. When we are strong but neglect the spiritual disciplines necessary to keep us that way, it opens the door to temptation. And again, imagine, imagine being watchful while you're spiritually drunk. So Jesus tells us to be watchful about temptation that is bound to come your way, my way. It is something, brothers and sisters, that cannot be avoided. You cannot avoid temptation. I don't care how strong you are. In fact, if you know anything about even the Apostle Paul, we know that even he, it seems that he had bouts of anger. The scripture tells us to, to be angry and don't sin. So all of us are susceptible uh, to sinfulness. Therefore, we must tell the truth about ourselves and we must watch and do what? Pray. But Peter also focuses our attention in another area that may or not be related to being watchful for temptation, per se, but we are also to look out for something else. Peter says that there is a real devil, 
looking to destroy real people like you and me. I'll say that again because maybe some of you didn't hear what I said. I said that there is a real devil looking to destroy real people like you and me. Or should I say I? New English, right? It always changes this. Not I, you should say me. It's not me, you should say I. But whatever it is, me or I, uh, the devil is looking for you. Says here again, be sober-minded, be watchful. Uh, verse 8, your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Well, how would you feel if you received the notification in the mail demanding you appear in court? Would you say, oh, that's nothing. If I was subpoenaed and was demanded, if I was subpoenaed and if I was demanded to appear in court, I personally would be a little concerned. Yes, even though the scripture, especially after last week, uh, Peter told, told us uh, to uh, don't be anxious that we should cast all of our anxieties on the Lord. You know how it is. You know, I'm, I'm human. So if I saw something like that, I'd be like, wait, what is this? Hold on, let me, let me open it up. You see, when initially faced with some unknown circumstance, there's always an initial shock to the system, right? That may temporarily uh, kind of jar you off balance or uh, cause you to shake a little bit. But soon afterwards, however, uh, we learn to cast all of those anxieties and worries to the Lord. But one of the questions on our minds would be whether or not we have been accused of something. Especially when this summons, it appears out of nowhere. If you, however, discover what is behind the summons, you could think that either you have nothing to offer or maybe, depending upon the situation, that you have been falsely accused. Nevertheless, you show up to court. You show up to court to answer the charges if you've been charged for something to answer the charges against you, only to realize that what's being said about you, that they're all lies, they're all lies, that the stuff uh, that they're saying is nothing but lies. But yet here you are, <laughs> in the hot seat, called to answer something unjustly plotted against you. You can't even understand why you've been summoned in the first place because you know it's been nothing but a pack of lies. Our passage says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around. Well, the word uh, adversary in our passage, it comes from a word which means to accuse another as you would take someone to court. For instance, like a company that wants to take you to court for not paying your bills, you have been accused for being a deadbeat bill payer. Or maybe it's your neighbor wanting to take you to court because your fence fell down and hurt their dog that happened to come in your backyard, so now they want to take you to court. 
Now, whether these situations are true or not, uh, uh, that's not the point. Uh, the point is, is that uh, the one who wants to take you to court has become adversarial in order to extract damages from you. They would be the plaintiff, the accuser, and you would be the defendant, the accused having to answer all of these charges. Uh, but when you think about the devil, if the devil wants to accuse me, what type of damages does he want to extract from me, from my soul? The point is simply this, brothers and sisters, that the devil is looking around. The devil is looking for trouble. Have you ever been in the hood before? And you know that uh, sometimes uh, in the hood, and, and I've been in various hoods, that's one thing about traveling, that one of the things that I purposely do when I travel here in the States in different places or whether I travel abroad, one of the things I always do, I always go find some semblance of the hood somewhere because I want to see how everybody lives. But one thing that I've discovered that sometimes you can kind of tell there's people that are looking around looking for trouble. Sometimes they got that look in their, that eye. You seen that? You seen that look before? And if you have it, you come hang out with me sometime. You know, you're walking down the street. You know, you, you can tell they, they're kind of looking around like that, right? They're opportunist. The devil, your adversary, is an opportunist. That he is looking around, seeing you coming and going to church, going to work. Your relationship, he's looking at you, he's looking at your family, uh, trying to see if you're going to slip up and leave your spiritual life unlocked. Because he says, if I check on their spiritual door and their spiritual door is unlocked, then I'm going to stick my foot in and try to cause as much havoc as possible. You better believe this that the devil wants you. The devil is looking for you to cause trouble in your life. He's looking around trying to find someone that he may accuse for sinfulness before the heavenly court. In fact, you remember what God asked Satan in Job chapter 1 verse 7? Go ahead and turn there. Job chapter 1 verse 7. Job is right before the book of Psalms. You know where Psalms is? Go to the left of Psalms and you will find the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 7. And by the way, uh, in case you didn't know this, uh, the word, the term Satan, uh, the meaning of the term Satan is accuser. You see that? If your name is accuser, what do you think you're living to do? He wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse you. Let's go on. Job chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered, and the Lord, uh, answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro, fro on the earth, and walking up and down on it. Okay? Now keep your hand there. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your hand in Job chapter 1, verse 7. 
Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Lord approached Satan in the Old Testament. Peter understands this in the New Testament. In other words, he has not finished his, his work. If you think that the idea of the devil and all that he represents is dead or the figment of someone's imagination, you are wrong, you are dead wrong. Why was the devil roaming back and forward on the earth? He was trying to find someone to accuse in order that they may be destroyed and he could also accuse God of not being so godly. It's the first thing he wants to say. Uh, they are wrong. Look what they did. Send this to God. And if God says, okay, well, maybe they did X, Y, and Z. They're supposed to be my people. They did X, Y, and Z wrong. What's it to you? Uh, you? You see, you're talking all that salvation, Mr. God, Mr. Lord, and all this other stuff. But you, uh, your perfection is nothing. And because your perfection is nothing, I should be God. You see, ultimately, Satan himself, he wants to be worshipped. If you didn't know, the devil wants to be worshipped. That is his desire. He wants to displace God and place himself there in that spot. He desires to tell the Lord that with all his power and all his might and all his omniscience, all his knowledge, that he is unsuccessful against the ravages of sin and temptation. In Job 1, the Lord then finds someone for the adversary to accuse. So the devil is running around looking, you know, just like those folks that you may see in the hood, whatever kind of hood you're talking about, either hood on the south side of the city of Chicago or the hood called Wall Street. Because you do know that there's folks in, in, on Wall Street making cold calls trying to get you to invest your money. They're looking for people to devour so in Job 1, the Lord, he finds someone for the adversary. You know, I don't get that, God. I have to admit to you. God, why would you find somebody for the devil? So the devil had been looking, trying to find the right person to throw in the face of God. And God says, have you considered my servant Dan? Oh, no, he didn't say that. He said, have you considered my servant Angie? Oh, no, he didn't say that either. Have you considered my servant Delana? Have you considered my servant Dolores, my servant Orbit, my servant Lisa? Uh, have you considered my servant Emerson? Verse 8, Job chapter 1. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God selected Job because Job was the type of man that the Lord could be proud of. He feared God. 
he turned away from evil. This was, was, was Job's M.O. This is the way he operated. So I guess in the mind of the devil, he may have said to, he may have said to himself, I don't know what he said. It's my imagination that there is no person blameless, so I will take the Lord up on his challenge. The devil was saying, ain't nobody blameless. I'll take you up on it. You see, because being destroyed by the devil will ultimately mean heading to an eternity without the Lord. And when you head into eternity without the Lord, you are heading for destruction. And the devil wants, uh, wants to help you along that path because he knows that uh, he doesn't have a chance. You see, some of us like to play the game between obedience and disobedience. Some of us like uh, the, uh, to test the Lord at his word and play a game with the devil to see what happens. Uh, what will happen if I go ahead and push against this line? But I'm here to tell you that you don't need to play that game with your life. You don't need to play Russian roulette with your eternity. You don't have to throw the dice to discover where you will end up. Know that if you are in Christ, the devil doesn't have a chance to accuse you of wrong, wrongdoing because when he does, the blood of Jesus is always ever-present there to cover you. Can you say amen? Nevertheless, <laughs> the devil is looking for someone to accuse. He is looking for someone to devour Someone to destroy. He wants to dismantle your life. Say it again. Maybe you didn't hear me. I said, the devil wants to dismantle your life. See, oftentimes, he doesn't come in so blatantly. Sometimes it goes piece by piece. I, uh, me and my, uh, one of my sons, we were working on a project uh, on one of our cars, uh, the headlamps, because the car is so old, uh, you know, there's some oxidation that occurs on the lights, and they start to look really, really, like, really dull. Have you seen lights like that before? And uh, so I said, that looks like a pretty simple job. I'll just go on YouTube, and YouTube will show me whatever I need to know to replace headlights, headlamp assemblies on the car. And I go to YouTube, and the first video I said, uh, the first thing you need to do is take the bumper off the car. I'm like, oops, there it is. You know, so then I walk away, and then I come back a day later, and then I said, that just don't make sense. Why do you have to take the whole bumper off to replace this assembly on the car? It makes no sense at all. So then I go back to, you know, the computer. Uh, so the next video says that you need to take the bumper off. I'm like, that makes no sense. Next video says you have to take the bumper off. I'm like, that makes no, I'm saying it makes no sense at all to me. And then finally one guy says, you need to take the bumper off and it's not that hard. I, so now I decided, the other videos I didn't even watch all the way through. So I say, he says not that hard, let me just watch it, let me just watch it through. So the guy says that, well what you need to do is, first thing you do, get a screwdriver. I'm like, a screwdriver? Get a screwdriver and you unscrew 
a screw here near the wheel, and you unscrew another screw near the wheel, then you go to the other side, and that's like four screws. He says, then you take your screwdriver, and then you pop the little retaining clips off, and then after you pop the retaining clips off, you just jiggle the bumper, and it comes right off the car. I said, no way in the world. But then I said, let me try it. It's my car. It's paid for. So if I tear it up, I'm going to, you all, you all see me driving around here with a snag of tooth looking car, you'll know that I've been working on it. Amen? Because when I took that bumper off and I did get it off, it was looking snaggedy tooth. Right? So I did exactly what he said. Two screws on either, four screws. Then a little retaining clip just popped it off and pulled it off. And I jiggled it and guess what? The bumper came off. It came right off. See, a lot of times when we think of the spiritual walk, oftentimes it seems like it's very complex. And see, what the devil wants to do is he just wants to get to our spiritual life one screw at a time, then the next screw. There's nothing big. He's not going to come to us and then pull our whole spiritual bumper off. It'll be one screw, one screw here, one screw there, and then retaining clip. And what I also discovered as I went in there, I noticed that all the retaining clips were not there. The car had been involved in an accident before, so the people that replaced the bumper before, they didn't put all the retaining clips back there. And I didn't even notice it, didn't even know that that's how you do it in the first place. So as the devil is popping off the retaining spiritual clips of your life, you don't even know it's missing. Just one at a time. You know, I'm not going to do this. And then the devil comes in. Boop. Then uh, I'm not going to go before the Lord this day. And then boop. Car's still functional. Still operating. And then it happens. He comes. There's a little rustle in our life. And then our entire life snaggedy tooth our entire life is a mess and then we wonder oh lord my god how did I get here one screw one retaining clip at a time is this you What about your present lifestyle? If the devil brought you to trial today and accused you before God's heavenly court, would you be found guilty or not guilty because of sin or disobedience? For some, the devil will say, look at this area and look in that area. In addition to all, they refuse to repent. You see, some of us, we're in sin and you still don't repent. You still don't turn around. You know what you're supposed to do, but you continue to go deeper and deeper, and one boop, clip, one screw, one clip at a time. And then you ask yourself, when you stumble and you've fallen, how did I get here? How have you become so hard-hearted? Why have you become so sin-laden that the arrogance of your lifestyle no longer convicts you? 
How can you walk around with not having the Holy Spirit convict you of living a life that God opposes? How has your heart become seared as with a hot iron? What leverage does the devil have against you today? Don't think that I can just simply say a little prayer and I'm good for the rest of my life. You see, I, I accepted Jesus Christ when I was 10 years old uh, at such and such church and I said, Lord, I'm yours. And he said, okay, you're mine and that's it. And then I can live like the devil. Now, if you're truly saved, I'm not saying that you lost your salvation, but I am saying that if you are truly saved, why do you continue to act like the devil yourself? Are you arrogant? Are you spiteful in your sin? Maybe some of you are sinful because somebody has done you wrong. Maybe you're sinful because you think God will not hold you to account. Regardless of your rationale, regardless of your understanding, understand this, that you are being trapped. He has so confused your mind that you may not even know up from down, left from right, uh, right from wrong. It's really something, isn't it? It's really something. The devil leads you down a path of ungodliness, and then when you get there, he says, look here, he accuses you. The devil leads you down the path of unrighteousness and sinfulness, and then once you get there, he accuses you. Sounds like somebody you want to partner with. And this is why it's important that you always consider who you yoke yourself with. You always consider who you go in business with. You always consider who you marry. Uh, you always consider uh, the ramifications of being uh, yoked with this person because you guys somehow in some way will be spiritually yoked. Why? Because sooner or later, when push comes to sho shove, they will show you who they are. You see... There's one period that you, like on the honeymoon period, amen? Uh, just like uh, many of you, I'm not going to say me, but many of you uh, who were married before, you know that first year or so, it was really lovey-dovey, wasn't it? You know, you had a good time and you were, so in, you were so in love. In fact, your husband and your wife could have looked like a box and you would have been happy, Right? They could have had size 20 feet, right? Bow-legged, in-legged, uh, slew-footed, pigeon-toed, you name it. Didn't do nothing. All you knew that you were in love and all you could say, oh, how much I love them. But sooner or later, you realize that I may have married the devil. Why? Because eventually, who that person is, it shows up. Why? Because you can't stop who you really are. You cannot stop the person that you really are. Oh yeah, it's coming out. So you better plead the blood of Jesus Christ over who you are in your relationships.
So this is another reason why we have to be sober-minded and watchful. Don't allow the thrill of a title or the potential of making stacks of money manipulate your emotions to the point of being spiritually reckless and caught up in the jaws of the lion. Scripture says here, again, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that the devil is like a roaring lion. Have you ever heard the roar of a lion? Why did they roar in the first place? Roar! They say. They do that to tell other lions, look here, y'all, I'm here. Sometimes in the neighborhood, you hear gunshots for no reason. But they roar because they want everybody to know how big they are or how big they ain't. And the louder the roar, the stronger and the bigger the lion is to keep uh, other prides and other lions away from their home and their territory. And oftentimes this is done right before sunrise or sunsets because they're more active. But they also uh, roar when they feel threatened. And they roar to show, show off their biggest weapons, their, their sharp teeth and their claws. And then they try to make themselves look as big as possible. And then what they will do, and I didn't know this either, that uh, not only would they roar, ah, but they would also, to show themselves bigger, they get up on their tiptoes. Because... They want you to see how big and bad they are. Remember that song from the Wiz, I'm a mean old lion. You know I'm ready to fight. Turn your day into night. Why? Because I'm a... And remember what happened at that mean old lion at the end of that story. You know I'm ready to fight. Turn your day into night. Because I'm a mean old lion. Right? He did all that talking, all that roar at the end. And then little dogs had roof, roof, roof. And the lion did what? He ran. So the devil roars, attempting to scare you into submitting to his ways. He has no power over you. Can you say no? Don't worry about no devils. I told some of you that I've had people to cast curses against me before. Just all kind of stuff. Don't worry about the devil. You know that if you are under the blood of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has your back and you have nothing to be concerned of. So you walk in the confidence, in the space of the person that you are in Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you respond to the scheming and maliciousness of the devil who's looking to destroy you? Verse 9, 1 Peter 5. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Resist him. How do you respond to the devil coming about like a roaring lion? You do what? We do what? Resist him. As believers, we know we have the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ on our side. This is why we never should worry about what the devil can do because God is even greater. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Even when you're going through a great struggle. And I know some of you have gone through some things. Some of us have gone through some tough things in life. 
And it's not always easy. But at those times that we lean more heavily upon the Lord. But our passage tells us to resist him. How do we resist? We resist by actively opposing the pressure or the power that the devil is placing on us. We resist by actively re, uh, opposing the pressure or the power that's being placed upon us. In other words, when the pressure is on, we say, uh-uh, no way. We reject the thought, reject the action, hold back the temptation, and refuse to give in to anything that opposes the holiness of the work of the Lord in our lives. But one of our weaknesses in these situations, again, is the failure to stay strong. I think it's Paul who says, be strong in the Lord, right? In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. So our strength does not come from ourselves. The strength comes from where? Comes from the Lord. This is a mistake I've made many times before. I've, I've done it. I was thinking that my strength comes from me and forget that my strength really comes from God. How are you going to resist without uh, inserting the Lord into your situation? Can't be done. Can't be done. Can't be done. So in order to resist the adversary, you must be prepared. Thank the Lord he has given us some help in this idea. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Paul says, put on the whole of the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The whole armor of God. So since the devil is not a lion, and you may not be able to see his attacks, right? We must have weapons that are also invisible. Our weapons are not made of flesh and blood, but they're spiritually, they're spiritually attained through Jesus Christ. So if you're going to resist the devil, you better clad yourself with armor, which will repel his attacks. Uh, just because uh, you know something doesn't mean that you'll be able to do it. So you need to uh, implement uh, the armor of God to walk through your situations. Just hearing this. The devil might be at the door of this church waiting for some of you to come out today. Trying to see if you really believe what you're hearing and you're just saying amen just to sound good or to hear your voice. In fact, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some of you were tested the moment you finished listening to this message today. No, I'm not wishing anything upon you. I'm just saying. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But you are to resist him also by remaining firm in your faith. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Exodus 14, verse 13. As God's people were repeatedly commanded to stand firm in our faith, because if we 
can't stand firm in our faith, what do we have left? Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, act like women too. No, I, I want men to act like men, amen? And I want women to act like women. I shouldn't have to say that, but I did, and I am, and there it is. Be strong, he says. If you're not able to stand firm in your faith, you will have no security in your heart, even in the present. You will find yourself not able to stand firm in your faith because your faith is dependent on someone else. Oh, I have faith because I'm waiting to go to church just to hear Pastor Spencer. No, 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 no. You don't need me. All you need is who you already have. And who you already have is Jesus Christ, your Lord. He's my Lord. Jesus is always there. Amen. Because at 2 o'clock in the morning, you may call me, but I might be sleeping so hard that I may not hear the phone. Or I may not even be around my phone at 2 in the morning, in fact. But there's one name that you can always call who's always there. And that name is what? There's only one name that you can call at 6 o'clock in the morning that will answer you and not get tired of yourself. Who, what name is that? There's only one name that will be ready to hear your call at midnight when everybody else is asleep, and that name is who? There's only one name at three in the morning that we all can call, and he can call, and he's ready to defend, to lift you up. When you wake up in the middle of the night, there's one that's there who's ready for you, and that name is Jesus. Don't wait on me. Call to Jesus that you know he is your Lord, your personal Savior, and if you have the relationship, call the one that you know. Now, if you don't know him, you need to be at church every time the church doors are open. Can you say amen? You need to be here. If you are not able to stand firm in your faith, you will have no security in your heart even in the present. Isaiah 7, 9. Isaiah 7, 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That's what the prophet says. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. How will you become firm in your faith? By being in the body of Christ. You will find encouragement and rebuke in the church. Can you say amen? You will find encouragement. Can you say amen to that? But you may also find rebuke in the church. And the thing is not to run when both come your way because when they come your way, it's doing nothing but building you up and making you stronger before the Lord. And you also be able to stand firm in your faith by learning more about the Lord and walking with him. Some of you have already begun this process by being involved in Bible study and discipleship gatherings. 
But this process, again, it includes prayer and reading scripture for yourself and by yourself. So as you enter this process, you will begin to experience the goodness of the Lord and the assurance of his presence uh, like you've never, ever felt before. But even with all that done, you better know this. The devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So regardless of how well you do all those things, the devil sitting and waiting. He's waiting. Oh, he's waiting. Remember Job? God said there's nobody else like him on the face of the earth. He had his spiritual life together. Also recall, again in Job 7, Satan replied to the Lord, where have you been? I'm going to and fro on the earth from walking up and down on it. He's looking. One thing you don't have to worry about, the devil is not everywhere at the same time. Amen? There's only one devil, and he is limited only to a certain geographical location at one time. He can't be at your house and my house at the same time. Amen? So don't think that, oh, the devil is there, and then he's here. Well, how does all this evilness happen? Because he has demons that he works with. But what do you think he's looking for? He's looking for an opportunity to entrap you and to trip you up. So my brothers and sisters, we must learn to be strong in the faith. And as you stand strong in your faith, you are firm in your faith. You have learned that even though the devil may roar, you are set for battle because the battle is not yours in the first place. The battle belongs to the Lord. So therefore, we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because we have put on the whole armor of God and we stand under the blood of Jesus Christ who's there ready to defend us in the heavenly courts. And for that, we say thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done and all that you will continue to do. And Lord, I will stand firm in my faith. I will resist the devil because I can through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus, defend me. Jesus, let your blood flow. Jesus, I call on your name. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, make a way out of no way. Jesus, strengthen me when I'm weak. Jesus, answer my prayer. Jesus, love us all. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, there is no one like you on heaven and earth you who